The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Thank you for tuning in. Before we get into the interview, I would be honored if you would consider going to thepaulleslie.com and clicking support the show. There are quite a number of things I want to accomplish with the Paul Leslie Hour, and you can help me get more of these interviews out there to the masses. It only takes a moment, and it makes a world of difference. Last but not least, tell someone about the Paul Leslie Hour. Let them know in whatever way you can. And now, let's get into the interview. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very pleased to be joined by this man. Matt Rawlings is joining us. He is a man of many talents. He is a pianist, a recording artist, a producer, an arranger. I'm very honored that he has joined us here on the Paul Leslie Hour. We're going to be talking about a lot of things, including something that is very newsworthy. Matt Rawlings is the producer of the latest Willie Nelson studio record, That's Life, featuring Willie Nelson's interpretations of some much-loved Sinatra tunes. So, Matt, thank you very much. It's an honor to speak to you. Thanks very much, Paul. And and just at the top, since you've introduced it that way, I just want to make sure everybody knows that I'm a co-producer of that record. But the great Buddy Cannon and I, right? Um, this is our third our third Willie collaboration, um, and our second Willie Sinatra collaboration, actually. Yeah. Something that's interesting about the albums that you've done with Willie Nelson, all of them have kind of a theme of the American Songbook. You did the Gershwin album, which was great. Yeah. The first Sinatra record, and now this one, That's Life. Tell me, how how did Willie Nelson get the idea that he would like to include you as a co-producer on these? Uh, to be honest, the idea came from Buddy. Buddy, uh, Buddy Cannon is an old friend of mine, 30-year uh, colleague and friend. And the first one, how it all started was with um, Summertime, which was, you know, Willie singing uh, Gershwin hits. Um, you know, George and I were Gershwin. Uh, and again, great, of course, Great American Songbook, but specifically Gershwin. And that came about because the year that we did that, which I believe was 2016, uh, it all runs together now. But, you know, Willie was uh, awarded the Gershwin Prize which is the Gershwin Prize for Popular Song, which is a, a congressional honor given in Washington, D.C. every year, although I'm not sure if they did it this last year. But anyway, traditionally every year, and it's given to a songwriter. And so, you know, Carol King has gotten it, and I think James Taylor and Paul Simon, and, uh, you know, the heaviest of the heavy songwriters. And everybody, when they think of, uh, or most people, when they when they think of Willie, they think of on the road again and they think of, uh, you know, he, you know, his singing, his performing, his 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 persona, but I mean, you know, Willie wrote crazy for Patsy Cline and Willie wrote uh, funny how time slips away. I mean, he's written classic standard songs. So anyway, he was, uh, I, the first call, I was actually on a bus on tour with Lyle Lovett playing piano on a bus on a day drive. And I got a call from Buddy saying, Hey Matt. So they're, <laughs> they're giving Willie and you know, Buddy has produced, um, he produces every other Willie record <laughs> other than these sort of, uh, you know, American songbook jazz ones that we do together. He, he, he's Willie's main producer and he's done a bunch of them. And he said, Hey, they're giving, 
They're giving Willie the Gershwin Prize this year in about eight or nine months. And Rothbaum and I, meaning Mark Rothbaum, who's Willie's longtime uh, manager, also used to manage Miles Davis and, you know, legendary guy. But Mark and I had this idea to do a record of Gershwin songs um, to, to commemorate and kind of coincide with him receiving this award. And, you know, Buddy is a brilliant producer, but but that that style, you know, those, I mean, those songs, there's only so much you can do uh, with that sort of body of work. And it's, it's not really his wheelhouse. And so he thought of me and said, do you want to co-produce this record with me? And it was, of course, an immediate yes. And, uh, and I became, you know, the arranger, I, I had a concept and I had a, a concept of a group of guys to play on it. And, uh, and we just, we just went forth and, and did that first one. Uh, you know, connecting, connecting it with the, the Gershwin prize, you know, it went on. I mean, when we got nominated for a Grammy, I, I was kind of flabbergasted, but then when we actually won the Grammy for best traditional pop, it was, it, you know, it was kind of mind blowing. And, uh, so, so then Willie, you know, really, Willie, really drove the next one. Uh, Frank and he were, were very good friends and Frank, you know, is his favorite singer. And so he's, he's, he knows, uh, he's very familiar with, with the canon and, uh, and with Frank's records. And, um, and so he had the idea to, you know, Hey, we want a Grammy. I like, you know, this is working for, let's do another one. Let's do a Sinatra record. So we then, uh, launched into making my way, which was the first of the two Sinatra records. And again, I arranged, and this time we added uh, real strings and real horns. The first one, we didn't, we didn't do any of that. We, we kept it very very small and the second one we kind of expanded a little more and made my way and and again it won the traditional pop grammy and uh and so uh and so we just decided to to make a second one there's so much material and i think on this new one on that's life we got to go a little deeper um in into the catalog and and uh you know with my way I think we kind of cut cut the hits, cut cut. You know, not only want to say obvious, but somewhat you know obvious choices, which was the right thing to do. This one, you know, we cut "Cottage for Sale" and the "We Small Hours of the Morning." We 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 were able to, uh, you know, sort of riding on the success of the last one to to go a little deeper, which was which was really um, exciting for me because those are some of my favorite songs. Well, I have to say, Matt, it's it's a great sounding album i i really love it i love all all of these albums i uh i interviewed joe nick Pataski one time who wrote the um one of the books about willie nelson with his okay. collaboration yeah he's he's done a handful of them yeah yeah a lot of a lot of books period yeah. but um he said in my mind and i want to get your thoughts on this he said in my mind willie is more of a jazz singer than a country singer I've heard that quote. Um, uh, yeah, I don't. I totally know where that's coming from. I mean, he is an interpreter of song, and he and he's an improviser, both as a guitar player and as a singer. Um, so, in that sense, absolutely, he lives in that world. I think culturally and historically, he, you know, and and sort of emotionally and spiritually. He is, he's a country boy, you know, that's where, that's where he comes from. So it's, it's really kind of an astonishing, uh, uh, mashup to me of those two things. Um, and, and really what comes out it's, to me with Willie is, is that 
Um, and, you know, I've worked with a handful of other artists that are like this, but it's, I remember, I remember the first, and I don't remember what the song was, but on, on the summertime record, the first of these three, whatever the first song was that he sang, the very first line he sang, and it's, you know, it's Jay Belarus and David Pilch and it's me. And it's like this sort of, you know, it's a jazz setting, you know, it really is the very first line out of his mouth. And it was like, oh shit, it's a Willie Nelson record. Like, <laughs> immediately and and it i just you know i i chalk that up to the fact that willie can be no one but but willie like there's never a hint of him trying to like fit the room you know like the room fits willie like <laughs> willie when willie walks in the room it's it becomes willie's room and 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 so you know when he sings the song whatever the song is. And he's sung all of them pretty much at some point or another. You'd be hard pressed to find a song, a pop, especially a standard popular song, old song, country song that Willie hasn't sung or recorded. And, you know, and all of them, it's, uh, it's Willie, you know, and it's authentic. It's authentic because his voice is so authentic. Um, so yeah, he's a jazz singer. He's a country singer. He's a folk singer. He's an Americana singer. He's just, he's just an icon, you know, Willie has been in music for such a long time, and so many people have crossed paths with him, either the people who worked with him or his fans. Um, when I interviewed him, one of my fondest memories was seeing him outside, and he was signing for all like tons of people. But Matt, from your perspective, working with Willie Nelson, what is it like? You're in the studio with him. There he is a few foot feet away. You've gotten acclimated to him. What is it like to work with the man? Oh, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, there's always a particular feeling when somebody of, of that stature is in the room with you. So there's, there's, there's that aspect of just like, I'm in the room with a legend right now. There he is. There's Willie. And that's, you know, um, but, other than that, he's one of the most relaxed people I've ever met. I mean, the the persona you see in interviews. I mean, that's him. Like he's he doesn't like I said before about his singing. He doesn't he doesn't shift. He he doesn't have a press Willie and a you know recording Willie and a you know Willie's Willie and it's always that same Willie. So uh, you know he wants to learn the song and then he's going to sing it. You know, a handful of times he's going to play trigger and. And he's and he's going to let us, you know, record all of it and uh, and make him sound great, you know. And he already sounds great, but um, you know, he doesn't he doesn't micromanage a bit of it, um, which is lovely. You know, I mean, he's very involved in in song choice and uh, and of course in approving the arrangements and all all that kind of stuff. But when it comes just to actually making the music. Um, you know, it's just, it's just like, it's just like water or something. He's just, he sits down and out it comes, you know, when he does it, that's just what he does. There's, there's no pomp about it or pretense. It's just Willie sitting down singing and playing, you know. You were mentioning the co-producer of these albums, Buddy Cannon. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a guy who has produced so many records, but also has written some great songs. Amazing songwriter. Yeah. Yeah. And is a soft-spoken kind of guy. Yeah. Have what you about had him on your show? I you did. Yeah, yeah. I don't see many interviews with Buddy, but he was nice enough to give me one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which which people it it really blew up. So there are a lot of people who know 
about the the incredible oh. talent of Buddy. But what is it? What has it been like for you to work with this legendary producer? I mean, I you know I I learned so much from Buddy, um, and and so much of it is is about uh, uh, waiting. I mean, Buddy is a guy who. Um, you know, he's a bit of a country Zen master, I think, <laughs> you know, just a, you know, he's, uh, uh, he's a man of few words, but when he, when he, when he has a comment, it's, 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 it's usually always, uh, right. And, um, you know, and not, it's never about him. It's never about, you know, dig how great a producer I am. It's always about like, you know, he's a hundred percent focused on what is going to make this record speak correctly. And, and more importantly, what is, what is going to make this record, uh, uh, you know, be the absolute correct vehicle for this artist, you know, like what, what is, is there something that's in the way? Is there something, you know, he's just, he's, he, he runs almost purely on instinct and not, I mean, he has a lot of skill and a lot of, you know, he's extremely musical. And like you said, he's an incredible songwriter. He's written tons of hit songs, but, uh, but really he runs on intuition. So if something is not quite working for him, he'll, he'll, you know, if it keeps not working for him, he's going to say something and try to get to the bottom of why. And that's just, you know, it's, again, it's like, he's a great match for Willie because they're both, you know, it's like, it's kind of no bullshit, no big deal. Like let's, let's, uh, Let's just get it done. You know, <laughs> it served him well for sure. You know, and artists love working with him because he's, he's, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't blow smoke up their asses. You know, he's just, he's honest, but, but he's, he's, he's a kind hearted, gentle guy. So he's, he's just, he's lovely to be around. He's a, he's a great friend. And, uh, you know, you ever have those, those kind of friends who are just, uh, they're solid as a rock and they say like three things, you know, <laughs> like there are three words that come out of their mouth, but it's, it's exactly what needs to be said. You know, he's that, he's that kind of guy. I'm the opposite. I'll talk for days. <laughs> so we're a good match. And, you know, as far as these records, you know, we kind of, we kind of pair off my, my wheelhouse on these records is, is writing the arrangements. Cause I have, you know, that's just a part of my background. I have that vocabulary. And then, and then as far as the tracking sessions, again, I, I play, but then I kind of run the tracking dates as far as the hands-on, if I, if there are comments, specific stuff for the players that pertain, uh, you know, to, 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 to what's going on on the floor. And then, and then buddy's in the control room again, with that sort of global perspective saying, I don't think this is working. Can we, or, 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 you know, it's really too fast or, you know, and then later down the road when we're doing, when we're doing stuff, more stuff with Willie and, and, uh, you know, but he's kind of the Willie whisperer, I think, you know, like they, and, and, you know, he, uh, he just, he knows how to, uh, they, they have, they have a, a lot, they've written a bunch of songs together. They've made a bunch of records together. So that the trust factor between Willie and buddy is really strong. And, um, it works out really well, you know. I always like interesting little connections that happen in music. Something that I thought was interesting is that the great Al Schmidt worked on this, which yeah. is kind of a, I don't know, poetic thing because the very last Sinatra record Al Schmidt worked on. Yeah. And I'll tell you, there's this, there's, you know, I, and I love Al and he's one of my favorite people. And again, a, like a, a dear friend and, and 
I mean, a, 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 a national treasure, in my opinion, a living legend and, and, the, and that we got to record in Capitol. But, uh, there's, there's a real, um, there's a real sadness to the, to why Al mixed this record, which is that the great Ed Cherney, Ed Cherney, mm-hmm. who recorded and mixed both of the first two and who was again, legendary, like he's of, of that ilk with Elliot Shiner and, Al and, 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 you know, a, a, a very quickly diminishing ranks of these legendary engineers that have, that are, that bridge, still bridge, um, the, the worlds of the forties and fifties and sixties and today. And so they bring with them all of that experience. And, uh, and, and we lost Ed. The, the, uh, our tracking dates at Capital B for this record were his last full tracking session. And, uh, and then later that year he died of cancer. So, um, Al was sort of the only choice really to mix this record. And he and, and Ed were very dear friends. And then our, our great friend, Nico Bolas actually assisted in the mixing as well. And he's another legendary and, and, and also, and is best friends with Al and works out of capital a lot and, or did. Um, so, so yes, a, a, a beautiful, full circle moment, you know, and I got to play Nat King Cole's old Steinway on the, on the sessions and we cut in capital B with the pictures of Frank hanging on the wall and then Al gets to mix it. So I, I think it's a beautiful tribute to Ed that, that we were able to close the record out that way. And, and it also just hurts my heart to know that he wasn't able to, to finish it himself, you know? Hmm. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking uh, on email to the, the great songwriter, Dean Kay, who wrote the song, That's Life. Mm-hmm. And he was saying how he appreciated that Willie recorded this. And it occurred to me, you know, so many of these songs are, they're, they're, they're really old. You know, they're <laughs> decades and decades old. Yeah. But when you look at it, all of the great recording artists, Willie Nelson, Paul McCartney, a few years back, Bob Dylan, yeah, Tony uh, Bennett, Tony Bennett, everybody eventually gets around to the standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What quality do you see in these songs that cause this endurance? <laughs> melody and harmony. <laughs> I mean, you know, melody uh, is is simply, uh, you know, I mean, well, and and lyrics. I mean, lyrically. Um, you know, they're, they're, they, they tend to be kind of period pieces. They're not, they're not, uh, uh, you know, l- lyrically they're, they're, you know, they're old and there's their colloquialisms and references are old. Um, the melody writing is, um, you know, that was the great age of melody writing today. You know, uh, so much of pop music is, uh, image driven, artist driven, producer driven, beat driven, um, and not, you know, like real, real uh um sort of depthful melody it's like it's not appropriate in most of pop music today uh country music you know melody is is again was and a, a different version of it was um a driver but it's it's not really anymore country music has moved way closer to pop music in, in that sense so these songs represent kind of the to me the golden age of melody writing and 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 melody, a great, to me, a great, and I'm an old school guy, but you know, that's what, that's what drives a lyric, you know, a great melody. It's like in musical theater. Um, you know, you don't have, um, 
a lot of dialogue. You have songs telling the story, and so you have lyrics to songs that are telling the story, and and the only thing they have to ride on is melody. And so melody has to do melody has to create tension and create release. It has to have shape. It has to have uh, short phrases and long phrases. It has to have breath. It has to have all these things that have the ability to actually transmit something effectively. You know. Um, and that's what these songs have, you know, coupled with amazing harmony. And, you know, so it's, 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 uh, it's master songwriting, you know, the Gershwins, I mean, but all, all of those, all of the songwriters. So, you know, that's, that's the, that's, that's the, if I had to pick a single thing, it's that it's melody, you know, it's probably not entirely fair for me to ask, but could you pick a track from the that's life album that you think is just a knockout? Uh, cottage for sale is yeah. is i mean i love all of it i think it's all amazing i love willie's read on it that song is particularly um just it's just one of my favorite songs that frank ever recorded and i you know not to toot my own horn but i i love the arrangement i wrote the string arrangement for it i'm i really i feel like i kind of nailed it <laughs> and i'm really happy with it and then the way al and nico mixed it the strings like the it just sounds it just sounds right and old and like, oh my God, the first time I heard the mix of it, it just, uh, it brought tears to my eyes. And, and the way Willie sings it, it, it it's, I mean, you know, that <laughs> the song, it's, it's such an amazing and sad and heartbreaking song. And then Willie singing it so plaintively and uh, just perfectly. I mean, his read is, is so spot on. So that, that's, you know, that's my yeah. personal favorite. Yeah. Oh yeah. It demands your attention. It's, it's really, <laughs> it's, it's it's heavy it's uh, heavy yeah <laughs> yeah despite all of the things that you do you're very versatile not only in what you do but in the things you i mean you're a guy you've worked with blues traveler but also willie nelson you know and we could keep going but would you say at your heart you're a jazz guy no no, no? i mean that's uh, uh i i I don't, I, I can't really place myself in sort of one genre as like I'm that guy. I, I, you know, jazz is where I started when I was a kid. When I first started playing piano, I just lucked into a teacher that that was sort of the lens that they, that they used to introduce young, young kids to, to music. And so I learned, I, mean, I learned fundamentals, how to, how to read and, uh, and hand position and all that. But then, you know, I, like they started teaching me, you know, like I would have songs with like walking bass lines, these little blues. They had a whole like, uh, 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 like catalog of these blues, like blues, B-L-U-Z-E, like blues number five. And it was like, it was a, a walking bass and a blues melody. And, and so it taught me to swing and it taught me about, uh, you know, about phrasing and all that stuff, uh, from through the lens of, of jazz, of blues and jazz. And so, so it's always near and dear to my, my heart, but I, I, I haven't followed that road near, uh, disciplined enough to really call myself like a jazz musician. It, it influences everything I do. But, you know, when I moved to Nashville in the eighties and I started playing on, on country sessions, playing on country records, um, you know, back then artists would oftentimes have a country swing song on a record like George Strait or, um, uh, you know, uh, Keith Whitley, who I got to play on his records before he died. I mean, they would, they would put these and, and so I got to, you know, and swinging is swinging. I mean, even if it's, if you're, if it's just, a, you know, it's a, an adjustment between I'm laying back this much or I'm laying back only this much, but it's still swing is swing. And, 
and I could swing. And and I had this vocabulary. I had this kind of bebop vocabulary from having been a jazz player and going to college. And with a little, you know, I mean, if you look at Bob Wills, you know, and Western Swing, the orange of that, and you look at swing music, Benny Goodman, and, you know, it's harmonically and melodically, it, it's it's extremely uh, uh, similar. And it's, it's pentatonic, a lot of pentatonic scale, uh, with chromatic approach notes thrown in to give it a little flair and, and blues scale. Right. And so I, I had that vo- And so for me, it was more a matter of like, you know, understanding the genre and, and kind of knowing what the outside boundaries were. And then, I mean, that really helped me establish myself in Nashville was respecting the genre, knowing what it was, but then, you know, allowing myself to, to let this other side of, of myself inform what I do. Um, and similarly with ballads, uh, having a, a, a bit of a deeper harmonic knowledge than maybe some of the other pianists that had come up just playing country music. So on ballads, you know, I could throw in a little cluster, like sort of a little nod to Bill Evans or something, and it became a signature for me. Um, so so it, I guess all that's to say is that it, it informs what I do. But, you know, to me, like guys that, that'll – that are would call themselves a jazz player. I mean, that's just it's such a deep and heavy discipline, mm-hmm. and I have not. That's not what I've done. You know, I've I've I, I mean, I keep my foot in it enough, but uh, you know, I've made a lot of commercial music. I've played on a lot of country and rock and pop records, and um, you know, and so I, you know, I'm just a, I'm just I'm just a guy who does what he does. You know, <laughs> it's eclectic. <laughs> Did you ever meet the great Ramsey Lewis? No, I I never met Ramsey. I'd love to. He's still around, isn't he? Yes, he is. Um, he was my very first. He was, and and that very first teacher of mine turned me on to Ramsey Lewis when I was nine years old. He was my first, and that you know, on my record that I put out last year, um, we recorded uh, the the old spiritual Wade in the Water with the Warren Treaty and the Blind Boys of Alabama, and that was from the very first Ramsey Lewis. I mean, that song got inside me. You know, at nine years old, my very first, you know, Ramsey had a hit on that song. He had an instrumental hit on Wade in the Water. And uh, and it's it's been a part of my sort of DNA ever since, which is why it, it made it to my record. I'd love to meet Ramsey. Amazing. We're, we're putting that out there into the universe. <laughs> so, All right. Beautiful. Kind of a, 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 I don't know what you'd call it, kind of an aside. I was listening to this recent Buffett. Jimmy Buffett record that came out. Yeah. And there's a vastly underrated song, The Night I Painted the Sky, that he re-recorded. And that's you playing the accordion. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I did it right here. <laughs> yeah? So Mac McAnally, uh, who, who's, who's Jimmy's longtime kind of second command guitar player and, and producer a lot, uh, lives across the street from me and is, a, is an old friend of mine. And so he just, he just called me one day and said, Hey, you want to play, you want to play accordion on a Buffett song? I said, yeah, send it over. So he sent it over and I stood right there with a mic and <laughs> that's a neat song. It's, I lied. I was really lovely. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I'm glad that you brought up mosaic. I'm hoping we can talk about it. I'm happy to talk about it. I have been listening to this. I'm so glad that I've had a chance to listen to it. Matt, it is a beautiful record. It's one of those things you you listen to it and you think everything is exactly how it's supposed to be. That's lovely. Thank you so much. I love it. It's great. It was a labor of love. I just approved, literally minutes before walking out here to talk with you, I approved the test pressing of the vinyl. 
Um, so, so that'll be available very soon. So that's exciting as well. That's good news. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I wanted to ask you what, what gave you this inspiration? It's such a cool idea. The great legendary Ramblin' Jack Elliott singing on a Lyle Lovett song. I thought this is imagination right here. How did that, how did you get inspired to, to do that? And furthermore, what did you think when you were listening to that for the first time? Uh, you know, Ramblin' Jack, I mean, Ramblin' Jack is kind of the reason we made the whole record, to be honest, is I, I and I'll, I'll try to be uh, as brief as I can with the story, but I was on the road. This would have been in 20, I guess in 2018, Lord, uh, with, with Alison Krauss. And we were on a break from our tour and I was in Northern California in Marin County where my wife and son were, you know, spending time cause her, her, she has family there. So I met him there on about a two week break. And, uh, and we, we left our boy who's 11 now is going to be 12, but he was probably nine then. Um, and we left him with his grandparents, which he was perfectly fine with. And we got a little Airbnb in this town called Inverness, which is in, in West Marin County. And there's a, there's a little inland bay called Tamales Bay. And on, on the ocean side, so there's the Pacific, right? And there's uh, Point Reyes, which is this big uh, uh, peninsula that juts out into the Pacific. And there's a lighthouse there. It's a national seashore. And then just inland, kind of over the hill, is this long kind of finger bay called Tamales Bay. And as you go north, Tamales Bay eventually spills out into Bodega Bay, which then spills out into the Pacific, and that's above, you know, way above the Golden Gate and above Point Reyes and all that. So anyway, we're on this side. We have four nights there, and our last night, if you go down the bottom of the bay and then back up again, you're on Highway 1, and Highway 1 continues to go up and up north, right? And so almost to the top of the bay, there's a uh, there's a place called um, Nick's Cove, and Nick's Cove is a right on the bay, this little seafood joint, and they've got a couple of cabins so you can drive up there and, like, eat seafood and spend the night. We didn't do that. We just got a reservation for dinner. So there's Nick's Cove on the bay and they've got a, 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 a pier, right? That juts out into the bay and there's a boathouse at the end of the pier. And so we get there. It's a typical West Marin, like up there, foggy. The fog is kind of settling. It's not dark yet. It's about 630. And uh, we said, well, let's walk out the pier and check out the boathouse for dinner. So we do that. We walk into this boat, <laughs> this boathouse, and there's a there's a, a wood burning stove with a fire lit, right? And there's a big table, um, and there's this old guy sitting at this table, right? He's got a sketch pad, and he's sitting by the fire. This old guy, right? He's got suspenders on. He looks good. He's got you know he's kind of he's, he looks sharp. And as we walk in, there's an upright piano <clears throat> against the wall, right? Which is random. It's like this really wet place. It's a boathouse. It's around the bay. There's an upright piano. My wife walked in first. And and very atypical of her, but she just she plunked a note down, and her her what she told me later was I, you know it's in a boathouse. I didn't even know if there were strings in it. I was just checking it out. So she plunked this note. This old guy turned around. He said, "Oh, you going to play me something?" And my wife said, "No, that's all I got." But I said, "I'll I'll play you something." <laughs> no bench. I just stood there and I just I just improvised a little ragtime in F, probably just played some a little fun for this guy, and he. This old guy just lit up and he started talking and he was oh, in a band and, you know, I, I was keeping it close. We didn't know who this guy was. I did keep it close to the vest and, and, uh, 
He said, uh, he said, I've written two songs in my life. And, uh, and the first one, uh, Johnny Cash recorded. It's called A Cup of Coffee. And we're going, really? All right. What's, who is this guy? <laughs> and I, play, you know, I played some more for him. He had a sketch pad. And on the sketch pad, he had drawn this like kind of point of view from the inside of an old Peterbilt semi with dual shifters, big long hood and all this stuff. And I was remarking that. He said, oh, yeah. He said, if I'd kept doing this, uh, I wouldn't have had to play guitar my whole life, you know? <laughs> All this and we're like, so we talk. I play some more. He loves what I'm playing. It's just this this real connection, kind of buzzy thing was happening. I, it was like this little leprechaun in the boathouse, right? It it turns out it's Ramblin' Jack. It's Ramblin' Jack Elliott who lives just down the road, a little bit south in Marshall, California, and he's been there for like 40 years. And he comes up to the boathouse. He sits by the fire. He sketches. He hangs out. So we spent an hour uh, in in this boathouse with Ramblin' Jack. Missed our reservation completely, but. Um, he walked us back. He's telling us stuff like, you know, yeah, when I was 40, I, I, I had a Vespa. I, I rode my Vespa over the Italian Alps for two years. He said, when I was 39, I learned to bull ride. You know, he's all these, <laughs> just one story after another, just, just all. And it's all true. It's a hundred percent true. And uh, so anyway, we wound up, we got into the restaurant, you know, they gave us, and we got this window seat. And if you ever see, um, there's a picture, I think it's maybe on the back of the CD, but it, it, it'll be a picture in the, in the album cover too. There's a picture of this boathouse that I took from the window, uh, of our dinner that night. And it, and it's, it's a really haunting image. Um, and it's of the boathouse. And then out in the middle of the, uh, of the bay opposite the boathouse is Hog Island. It's just this big rock with these big trees growing out of it. Really, uh, really spooky. So, we, you know, we were, we both kind of looked at our, each other through this whole dinner, like what the, what the hell just, it felt like we'd just gone to Avalon or something. Like we had, it, like we had had been visited. We went back to our Airbnb and I, I immediately got on, on the computer to Google Ramblin' Jack, half expecting that he had died three years ago or something, you know, like mm -hmm. really just feeling like this was this mystical thing, but you know, no, there he was and it had his management. And at that point he was signed to epitaph records in la and anyway i i was left and sorry to go so long but it's it's uh this is this is how this thing happened is uh, i was left with this really strong feeling that i was supposed to make some music with this guy and you know as as a record producer like that's where my mind went first was i maybe i'm supposed to produce a record right and i looked him up and he had the last record he had made had been a decade before jay Belarose, who was on the road with me with allison Krauss playing drums and who wound up playing on this whole record for me jay played drums on it and it won the best traditional blues grammy that year so anyway, I got on the phone. My then manager and I started talking, scheming, like, how are we going to make this happen? How can we, you know, let's get blah, blah, blah. So cut to like, I don't know, a month later, th three weeks later, I'm on another break from tour. And this time, now I'm back here in Nashville. My wife and I are, you know, the boys asleep and we're getting ready to go to bed. And I'm talking about Ramblin' Jack. And, and, and my wife, who's very wise, says, you know, Matt, it feels like you're kind of in the chase for this thing. Like, you know, like. You know, it's, I don't know. It feels like you're maybe kind of losing some of that magic that we had that night because you're really trying to figure out how to chase this thing down. And we talked. I grumbled. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not in the chase. I'm, you know, inspired, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, we talked. I hung in there with her and we talked about it. And then at one point during this conversation, she said, I have an idea, Matt. Why don't you make a record and ask Grandma Jack to sing on it? And it was like, it was like a lightning bolt for me. It's like, holy shit, that's a that's an amazing idea. And then immediately my brain started thinking, well, who else could I ask? I mean, I could, didn't have to just, yeah, Ramblin' Jack's a great, I could ask Lob. I've been working with Lob for 
40 years. What about Allison? What about Willie? Like it just started coming all these people, these amazing artists that I have friendships and working relationships with and, and all this great mutual respect that would all be amazing. So that's, that's was how it was born. Uh, and then the song selection, you know, it just, we just kind of came to this notion that the songs to cut with these people should either be an original that I've written a classic song, like If I Had a Boat, that I that that I was a part of an original record, a part of an original recording, or the third category was just a song that's just really a part of my musical DNA, which is where Take Me to the Mardi Gras and um, Spirits in the Material World, you know, they they came from that category. And so with each artist, as I started gathering artists and getting their yes, um, it just started a process of just sort of searching but also waiting for the right song to show up like looking through all the music that i know and that i have thinking of music listening to music and uh that one came quickly you know it, i've played that song with lyle ten thousand times probably and and when i started thinking about ramblin jack singing and it just was like well yeah of course you know because he's he is a cowboy and he has uh you know, he's, he's, a, he's a boat guy. Like he, he's rebuilt boats and he's sailed and he's so, so I just imagine that this could be, you know, cause Lyle wrote that song from the perspective of a child mm. you know, thinking I could, I don't have to be just one thing. I can be whatever I want to be. I can be, a, you know, me, I can be a cowboy and a ship captain at the same time. Right. But then from Ramblin' Jack, this older guy who's lived this life and done all these things, it seemed like it could be kind of a this swan song and and it's it's it just it just you know it, it came out that way to me it came out uh such a wistful and beautiful and, and almost melancholy uh read on it you know it is one of those magical things and what a story that's great yeah sorry it went on so long no it's okay <laughs> it's hard to make that one shorter it's just that's that's the story of the record it's magical you know <laughs> you know uh, this is a perfect segue you gave me because i have a a question that was submitted, and this is from Lyle Lovett. Really? Somebody who I, I've always found Lyle Lovett to be, he's kind of, to me anyways, he's kind of a mysterious person. Like, yeah. he, uh, he's intriguing, to say the least. But That's this it. is his question, and even the question is, is maybe cryptic. Do you prefer playing piano one-handed or two-handed? <laughs> uh, well the answer to that is it depends on who the other hand is <laughs> okay yeah yeah um so i'll tell i'll tell you the story of why that means something okay which is that last year two years ago 19 october 2019 i was doing uh hot yoga bikram yoga which i don't know if you're familiar with hot yoga but it's it's a it's a it's a it's a style of yoga that's very rigorous and that you do in about a hundred and five degree room for mm. ninety minutes. And I used to do it when we lived in Los Angeles when I was younger. I was really into it. It was kind of my main thing, and I I, I kept doing it. Uh, and this was kind of at the end, right after I'd gotten off of tour with Allison Krauss. I'd been doing some on the road, and thankfully this didn't happen on the road, but it it happened at home. And uh, October twenty ninth, maybe. There's a pose where you're on, you're lying flat on your stomach and you've got your hands like, like this. You've got your hands underneath you like this, lying flat. And then it's called half locust. And, and the pose is you get there first and you've got your chin like this. And then you, you spread your fingers out and you 
push to lift your legs up in the back, right? So you're using your back and you're just cranking your legs up and also putting pressure on. And during this pose on this particular class, I felt this, this ripping, Hmm. horrible feeling and pain. And I had, uh, I had torn almost all the way through my distal biceps tendon in this arm, my left, my left arm, you know, got the, uh, the MRI, did all that stuff. And, uh, you know, a week later, I was in Birmingham having surgery done on my arm with like the top sports sports guy, sports sports medicine guy, and then three months of uh, of um, of you know recovery um, uh, where I really couldn't play, and and so you know that was October. That Feb, that uh, November was packed wall to wall with sessions I had booked for other people. One of which was Lyle Levitt's new record. Now I haven't missed a Lyle Levitt record in many years, decades, right? This one I was going to miss. And so Jim Cox, who is, you know, the guy who now usually travels with him, but who was my replacement on the road with Lyle when I started working with Knopfler in, uh, in 05. And, um, so I went in to, uh, just one day during their tracking, they were tracking for a couple of weeks and I just went in to say hi to everybody. I was in a sling. I mean, I was in like this brace that they had to dial in the amount of, of, of this that I could have hmm. in a sling, still in a lot of pain. And, uh, and it was great to see everybody, all my old friends and Lyle, and they were very warm. And they, and then they said, you know, we're going to record this, 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 uh, this blues song, you know, do you want to play? And so, I played on this one song and I got on this side of the piano. There's a keyboard right here. I don't know if you can see. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and then Jim Cox sat here and he played the left hand and I played the right hand with my arm in the, in the thing. And, uh, and it made it to the record. So I took, you know, I took a, so we traded solos and I had just played with one hand. So, so that's where, uh, that's where the, uh, that's where the question. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. And thank you, Lyle, for that. That question. And how did you get Lyle? How did that happen? That you got a a, a submission from Lyle? Uh, I just emailed him and I said, uh, you know, hey, I got this idea. I said, I know I'm cutting it close, but maybe you would have a question for Matt, and I would read it on the air. That's a perfect question. And I just got to say, Lyle is Lyle's one of the most loyal and generous people I, I, that I've ever met, and and it was just exhibited. Uh, uh, it, it was exhibited in this in this instance where he just he was happy to let me watch, but he he wanted to give me the opportunity if I was up for it to to be a part of the record, <laughs> and uh, and it was a it was a beautiful thing. It really it it made my month because I had been sitting at home with you know hmm. with a bum arm, you know, <laughs> so it's terrible. So well, he also what's that? I said it's all good now. I'm all <laughs> all healed. He also said that. He also said this. He said, Matt is one of my favorite people in the world. I love him like a brother. He is without question one of the most gifted musicians on the planet. Wow. Well, that's that's lovely. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that <laughs> other than, than uh, I love you too, Lyle, 100%. <laughs> So uh, before we go, Matt, is there anything on the horizons? We have this vinyl version of Mosaic to look forward to, but anything else? Well, the new Blues Traveler record is coming out very soon, and that's super exciting. And they're on Round Hill now, and they're very excited about the record. Um, 
I've I'm uh, I can't say who, but I'm I'm in talks with a uh, an artist um, about a new record that we will probably track in April in LA and come back and work on here. That we'll have many special guests, and I'm also talking with someone about partnering um, to start making some solo piano records. Nice. Um, so that's uh, that's all that's all you know coming up and 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 there's a there's another record too another ep for a beautiful young italian actress and singer that probably will get started in the fall so so i'm 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 got them pretty stacked up you know which is which is great um we're going to try to get a vacation in there to, and drive again to northern california like nice. we did last year and uh and give our son um a break from nashville <laughs> and, <laughs> and see some family and uh, and all of that so I always like to give the guest the stage at the end and it's a very open-ended question, but I know there's no doubt in my mind, people will be tuning in from all over the world. Yeah. So Matt, what would you say to anybody who's joining us? Wow. That's a pretty broad question. Um, what I would say to anybody who's joining us is, uh, you know, uh, don't be afraid to listen to your voice. Um, there are a lot of people who, um, you know, who we allow ourselves to convince ourselves that our voice maybe isn't as important as their voice is. And, uh, and uh, I think that the, the older I get, the more that I realize the only, the only voice and and uh, that I really need to be um, taken care of and accountable to as my own, you know. And once I've done that, then I'm able to be fully present to collaborate, to to be in relationship, uh, you know, to uh, to laugh and love and cry and do all those things that we need to do to be, you know, healthy humans. But but the first thing is uh, is is to just to you know. Is to be true to myself. I mean, as corny as that sounds, that's that's the biggest lesson for me in my life. Continues to be, and uh, and 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 that opens the door to everything. <laughs> Truly, mm. so that's what I would say. You know, something light like that. <laughs> I don't think that's corny at all. I thought that was a great answer, Matt. Thank you okay. very much. I've really enjoyed. Been an honor. Th well, thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure. I, uh, I'm glad we got to work it out. I, I, I know I, uh, I uh, rescheduled a handful of times, so thanks for sticking with me, and it's been a pleasure talking with you. I hope we have a chance to talk again someday. I really enjoyed it. Lovely. Me too, Paul. All Be right. Well. You okay. too. Till next time. Thank you. Goodbye.